the wind was not the beginning. There are neither beginnings nor endings to the turning of the wheel of time. But it was a beginning. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Wind Was a Beginning. This is the podcast where we talk about Robert Jordan's The Wheel of Time. This is Season 2, Episode 7, Skinny Innkeeper Alert. Welcome back to The Wind Was a Beginning, where we're going to keep on trucking through Robert Jordan's wonderful masterpiece, The Wheel of Time. And this week, we're continuing our discussion of the second book of the series, The Great Hunt, with chapters 19 through 21. So listeners, if you have not read those chapters yet, we greatly encourage that you do so. And we'll be here waiting for you after you've done that. So, um, glad to be with you again this week. My name is Justin, and I've got my good friend and one who knows so much about this series and is such a huge fan, my good buddy Stephen. Stephen, how you doing this week? Oh, I'm doing great. Uh, it's a bit hot here, but, uh, you know. I was going to ask, are you staying cool? <laughs> No, not really. I don't think that's in the cards, not at least until September. Yeah, not <laughs> not at all. And, and you know, as, as we're recording this, I'm pretty sure, you know, we, we live in the South, so we're kind of used to the heat waves. Maybe not as early as it is this year, but pretty much the whole United States is in a massive heat wave. I'm seeing places all over the country hitting triple digits, and that that's not normal. Uh, no. Especially if, if we have any listeners outside the the U.S. In, in some parts of the country, yes, that's normal. But there's many parts that are seeing those temperatures, and that is not normal. So, um, uh, yeah, we we need some uh, we need some relief, um, and it'll get here about December, don't you think? <laughs> yeah, that, that's when yeah, it'll we'll actually get. Like that, get that that's cool when it'll week. actually get cold. <laughs> um, at least where we are. But uh, other than that, man, I'm, it's it's great, uh, you know, doing great, feeling great, ready to talk some more about this book. Yeah. We get into some interesting stuff this week, so do you, you ready to just dive right into it? I am ready. Awesome. So we're going to begin with chapter 19, Beneath the Dagger. After days of waiting, Rand is almost ready to give up when Huron spots a small fire in the distance. Rand and Loyal find the Dark Friend camp and liberate the Horn of Valir and the ruby-hilted dagger from their possession. In the aftermath, Rand takes on multiple Trollocs by himself and is decided that Kyrian would be the best place to wait for Ingtar and the Shinarans. Meanwhile, Pat and Fane is seething over the loss and determined that Rand will pay. Uh, so pretty exciting. You know, we've been, we, we've thought for the past several chapters that we've been chasing after these dark friends. And I think it was just in the last chapter, we found out they're actually behind us. And now yeah. we see them approaching. They're, 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 they're trying to hide their fire, but they're trying to hide the fire from people that are behind them, not in front of them. And so that's how Huron is able to spot it. And Rand and Loyal are able to go to the location. But before we, we get into that, we have this uh, little bit. First of all, Rand um, kind of kind of waking up. Um, but I want to talk for real briefly about this moment Rand has as he's remembering the time that he spent with Tom Marilyn. And something that, that he said or that he thought to himself in that moment really stuck out stood out to me. He said, I was happy then, I think, even running for my life, playing the flute for my supper. I was too ignorant to know what was going on. There's no turning back. So there's, yeah. you know, it's a little bit of a sad thought because he's he's thinking, you know, 
that's way, it's really not that far in the past, but with everything that's happened, it's far behind him now. He still thinks that Tom is dead. Um, and, and, you know, we haven't really gotten any confirmation otherwise yet, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, but it was, it was just a, it was kind of a nice moment. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, mel- a little bit of melancholy. Like yeah. this, uh, almost like Rand accepting the loss of a of something because you know he's talk he's thinking about Tom and he's specifically thinking about basically that time that him and Matt were on the road running yeah. to Camelot. He's thinking about when he played for his dinners, and you know he's thinking about how much simpler things were. Like at that point. It was just all about, you know, getting away from the Trollocs and the Merge Roll. It was, you know, trying. He was just one amongst many that were trying to get away. Yeah. But now the whole game has changed. Life has completely changed. Yeah. yeah. People were calling, wanting him to be the dragon. I mean, it's a whole different world for him. And this part of him realizes that he's never going to get back to what he had. Yeah, but you mentioned melancholy, and, and I think you're right in that. But I, I also, to me, there was just a just a little bit of comfort, though, as well. And in, in, yeah. in thinking back and remembering those days, um, you know, there's a little bit of peace there. And you know, if if Tom ever does come back, maybe that'll be a a, a great reunion uh, to look forward. I think he's to. also. I think he's also doing something that we all do as humans. He's looking back on the past with nostalgia and rose tinted glasses. Cause he's looking back on this time and he's like thinking about how simple it was. All I had to do was play for my supper. He's leaving out the fact that he had you know, had dark friends and murder all every other day trying to kill him. Sure. <laughs> you know, he, his mind is associating all these good memories and leaving out the absolute chaos that was that time in his life. That's true. Uh, which is something that, that we're prone to do as humans too. Oh you know? yeah, it's, yeah. We we love our rose tinted glasses. <laughs> yeah, so I just think that's it's uh, it's very humanizing, and I think Jordan does a good job, you know, putting stuff like this in. It's easy to overlook little moments like that and little thoughts that just come and go because this is a couple of lines. Yeah, honestly. it really is. But but it's something that really it goes a long way to building out Rand as a character and like. It makes him seem like a real person. Yeah. I actually, I, I have to admit, I, I kind of miss that aspect of it because um, I was kind of wrapped up in the, you know, he's comforted by this. Um, I was, yeah. ki- I, I kind of miss the, you know, the the nostalgia factor or the, the as we said, the rose-tinted glasses aspect of it. But you're absolutely right that that is, that's what he's doing. Um, yeah. So so fond memories of a not so wonderful time, <laughs> right? Yeah, it's a but but still at the same time so much simpler than where he's at right now. Oh yeah, because then there there By... was no you know there was no sidine or at least as far as he was concerned, um, you know uh, they weren't running you know ha- they didn't have all of these other things going on so. You know, I don't blame him in that. No, moment. not in the least. You know, oh. uh, who wouldn't at this point? Yeah, everything in his life is topsy turvy. Right. And you know, I'll tell you somebody. I'll tell you somebody. I am getting ready to blame though. <laughs> uh, and and that is that that is Celine. Um, oh, she is getting more and more suspicious. Is she not? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, well, she's definitely getting odder and more interesting. Well, I mean, it starts here as as Rand is kind of waking up, and he he rolls over, and she has apparently moved his saddlebags because he sleeps with them practically on his person, and then she's apparently about to go through them. And, you know, all this about, oh, well, she wanted to find a shirt so she could clean her dress. Yeah, I'm not buying it. (laughs) (laughs) 
you can put that back on the rack because I I ain't buying it. Um, and it's not just it's not just in this moment, but there's a lot of this going on, kind of throughout these chapters. Uh, she's continuously pressuring Rand. You know, you ought to be the one to blow the horn. You you ought to be the one to seize this greatness. You know, when he when he talks about waiting for Ingtar, she kind of oh, so you're gonna let him get the glory. And then even yeah. after they they find the horn, I know uh, it's kind of skipping ahead a little bit, but um, she just happens to know how to open this chest. This <laughs> chest that that, that Paddenfane didn't know how to open that. Uh, Loyal couldn't figure out how to open. Rand had no idea, and and she just like within a a second just click click, and opens it up. Well, I will say I will stop you there. Okay. Just because Padden Fane doesn't understand how to open the box, I mean, despite what he's been turned into and what he may have become, when it boils down to it, Padden Fane, as far as knowledge base, is still a peddler. <laughs> I mean, he's you know, a, a traveling salesman for all lack of a better term. So him not knowing some kind of intricate lockbox, that I can understand that completely. But I think Loyal probably could have figured it out if he'd had a little more time. Yeah, yeah but that's the thing, though. Padden Fane has had some time, you know, not saying that he would have figured it out, but but Celine, the, the very moment she sees the the, the the chest just walks right over to it and boom open yeah <laughs> uh, definitely something Which, uh, something to to, to we, pay attention to right well something interesting there in my question for you is this so so far the only people that we've seen be able to open the box were I said I we've never seen anybody but an I said I open it. Um, so in my, you know, we talked in the last episode about how maybe she either is an Aes Sedai and isn't telling him, or maybe she's a wilder like Nynaeve. What if the box can only be opened using the power? It's a good thought. Yeah. Just uh, to, she is. Know, Cause we did bring that up last time. Yeah. But I mean, and I think this comes up, um, in the next chapter, but she is, adamant that she is not Aes Sedai. Uh, she even gets very yeah. upset when Rand brings it up again, but, you know, you, you do bring up the point. She could be a wilder. Um, she could be, I don't know, maybe even unaware of her abilities. Uh, I doubt if she could, if that's the case and she could open the chest, I doubt that, that, that she's unaware if it can only be opened by someone using the power. Um, mm. Or is there something else going on? I guess what I want to know, know, what I want to know is what was she looking for in Rand's saddlebags? Cause she wasn't looking for a shirt. I mean, <laughs> no, you know, honestly, you don't really, I mean, we know what's in there. We know what's right? in there. So we know, but as far as we know, she has no reason to suspect that's there. So, she could have just been snooping, you know, like looking to see what she could find. You know, uh, I don't know if she necessarily had a thing she was looking for. Rand obviously jumped to that conclusion of, oh, what if she saw that? But, you know, that there's no reason to, for us to believe that she would know that specific item is in those bags. I don't know. It, 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 I, don't, I don't buy that she was just snooping to be snooping. <laughs> there, there's definitely something something going on with her and I'm looking forward to seeing how how, how that gets revealed how that plays out we're going to find out what's really going on probably not as soon as we would like judging by later yeah. in these chapters but uh, we're going to find something out um, we do get a little discussion between Rand and Loyal as they're heading out to try to find the Dark Friend camp. Um, and I, maybe this reveals more about Celine as well. But we finally learn this this term that she's been using to refer to Loyal, uh, calling him yeah. Alantin. 
Uh, we finally yeah. learned what that means. You want to tackle so, that for us? Yeah. So it it's the old tongue, uh, which is all in, in and of itself interesting, but it literally means brother to the trees or tree brother, which is that callback to the scene at the end of the last book where it's the green man. Uh, okay. So it it's uh, the green man refers to loyal as tree brother. Or to specifically as brother. So it's interesting that connection there between the Ogier and whatever the heck the Green Man is. <laughs> uh, so that he would refer to them as brother. You know, they have that, both seem to have that connection to nature and the living world. Right. Uh, you know, but it's the despite name. Despite the fact. Go ahead. Yeah. yeah. Now, I was going to say, despite the fact that Ogier are known for being stonemasons, their actual passion is for trees. Right, <laughs> like the groves and everything. So. Yeah, uh, and it's it's interesting. Yeah, it's, it's interesting that that Celine would be using a name like that. Although loyal again, um, he he just chalks it up to her being um, Tyrian, Tyrian, and noble. Yeah, yeah. saying that they were. It, it's a very formal address for the Ogier and. They are a very formal people. Uh, at least that's what he's heard about the noble houses. Uh, his experience among the common people was different, but uh, yeah. I can imagine that would probably be a pretty typical experience wherever you went. Uh, the common people are going to be a little bit less formal. At least the common people of Kyrian don't confuse them for a frolic. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> they, they recognize what he was. Uh, good for them. Uh, yeah. Do we need to talk about anything with the the actual mission or the escape back to camp? I, mean, I know there's a lot that happens with Rand in here, and you know, yeah, we just kind of see that a uh, continuing struggle with Rand. And I wanted to to bring up the fact that um, as they're sneaking into the camp, yeah. uh, Rand co- basically wraps himself in the void. And he acts in such a different way while doing so. Like, he goes so deep in the void that even Loyal notices. Because he's like, Rand, are you okay? Because he's talking. Basically, in my mind, he's talking like a robot. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because the the whole idea is, like, he's feeding all of his... He's becoming Rand the Vulcan when he goes into the void like this. And I think it's almost seems like he's becoming dependent upon it as a coping mechanism. Like, Mm. he is, so much is going on, and his emotions are so all over the place, that he is assuming the void to cope at this point, to not have to deal with those emotions, to be able to function and do what he wants to do, he's cutting part of himself off, basically, is how it seems to me here, Um, which is not a healthy thing to do. (laughs) Uh, That's not healthy to do, period, but then when you think about what's waiting for Rand in the void. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the dangers involved in that, There, that's that's a lot to consider. And, you know, I have to say, I, I think that has something to do with their escape, if you will, from the Dark Friend camp and back to their own, because I don't think Rand is that good of a swordsman yet. <laughs> no, he's uh, he he's threading the line. He's treading on the line here. Uh, he's wrapped himself fully in the void, and he can basically he's so close to touching Sidine that he can taste it. Yeah, I mean, and he's he is taking and he's almost going into like this uh like a Zen type state here, where yeah. he's basically he's. He's gotten rid of everything that can distract him, and it's just him and what he refers to as the Song of Sidene. And he just starts u- flowing into the different sword forms that ra- that uh, Lan has basically drilled into him. Yeah. So it's it's this like subconscious muscle memory that he's gained over the last couple of months, mixed with the humming flowing rhythm of Sidene and he's just kind of like completely zoned in to the sword at this one second. 
Yeah, I mean, it's almost like you were watching Lan doing this fighting as yeah. smoothly as as you, we see him move. I mean, it's almost, but you know, Ran isn't that good yet on his own. I mean, he's only well, he's only had like what a month's worth of training or so, about two of, of serious training. Yeah, month a month or two, two months. Yeah, yeah. It's it's been roughly two months since the events at the Eye of the World. Okay. Um, so he's had about two months of intensive training with land, but still nothing like this. But I think that it's actually part of the problem that's here. Um, because, all right, so when land fights, because we've seen him fight us several times, okay? He is skilled. He is dedic- He is focused. But he is always completely aware of his surroundings and what is happening and is completely in control. That is not what happens with Rand here. Mm, yeah. Rand is consumed. He is not paying attention to anything around him. He's completely thinking only of the sword and the hum and the music of Sidene. The rest, you could blow a bomb up two feet from him and he wouldn't notice it right now. He's not fighting like Lan. He's fighting like a man possessed. Okay. See, this um, is what, this you is know, what, this is why you're here. <laughs> <laughs> he loyal has to basically pull him out and bring him back to his senses or Rand's just going to sit there slicing and dicing trollics until Patton Fane walks up behind him with a knife in his back. Mm. I mean, he's not conscious of what's happening around him. He's, he's so needle focused that he's, you know, he's in a, he's in the, in a world of his own. Which is horribly dangerous. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is. Speaking of a knife, just real quickly, um, you know, I, I, I'm a little concerned about Rand, you know, actually touching the dagger. I know he doesn't do it. I yeah. know he doesn't carry it for very long. Um, I know, I think um, it may be the end of this chapter or into the next one we find out that they actually, you know, put the dagger in the chest with the horn. To kind of shield themselves from it, but um, you know, even even just that little bit, I'm sure there's got to be some kind of effect that takes place. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. I wanted to check real quick and see because I couldn't remember how it was that he actually picked it up. Well, he, he grabbed it. I'm, I'm pretty sure by the hilt and kind of tucked it. Um, you know, like into his his belt or or something like that, and it, and again, his intention okay. and and his and the reality is he only carried it long enough to get it back to their camp, and then yeah, shoved it away. But still, there's there's some concern. I think. Yeah, he does touch it here um, for that fleeting second. I I want to say um, while. One, he doesn't cut himself on the blade, which we've we've seen at this point that that can have disastrous consequences yeah. because we had the scene a couple chapters ago where the dark friends and Pat and Fane and, you know, we got a reference to the fact that the people he cut with it did not end happily. It, it, it didn't end uh, well. Yeah, so we know that can be dangerous. I have to wonder if it's not a case here where... With quick exposure, that possibly um, Sidene is slightly protecting him. Because we know, like, Moraine talks all the time about how, like, being in her presence of one who can touch the power offers some protections. Mm. Like, she can, you know, she was able to handle the dagger, even though she, you know, when she was taking care of Matt. So I'm wondering if maybe the fact that he can channel provides him some small protection, yeah. at least in, in a flighting short-term exposure. Um, but, okay. you know, I don't know. It could could have some long-lasting effect. We don't really yeah. see anything here. I'm, I'm, but I do kind of wonder about that. I'm just, I'm just anxious to see if there is any effect. I know it was brief, and I, I, I like the point that you bring up again. I hadn't really thought about that. Um, but, uh, again... That's why you're here. <laughs> but, um, okay, since we're talking about the dagger, then let's talk about Padden Fane and the dagger. You wanted to bring that up. Yeah, so it's just he is, I don't know, It it's almost like the bond, it seems like, with Matt, but on a more willing level. 
you know? Almost like he knew what he was getting into. Yeah. Hmm. So it, it's interesting how he treats the dagger. And uh, I don't know. There seems to be something going on there that's more than just it's a scary weapon. Right. You know, it it's just something interesting there. You know, especially how he reacts when it's gone. You know, he, yeah, so yeah, he, I just, he's flipping I just, out. <laughs> I, I know when when he realizes it's gone, he is ticked. Yeah, I, I mean, I mean, he's screaming. Um, you know, all he's all of this this stuff. You know, he's screaming, "It's gone! It's gone!" He rouses the the Trollocs to try to get them to do something, and then later. You know, we kind of actually get into his head a little bit, and he has this, uh, he calls out, um, uh, and, and I found this kind of interesting, and I'm, I know we don't really get any answers here, so I'm anxious to find out, uh, you know, exactly what, he, what he's saying here, but uh, he says, you will pay for what was done to me, Althor. He says, you will pay for what was done to me, Althor, the world will pay. And it says he cackled at the night with a mad laughter. The world will pay. So there's something very unsettling (laughs) with Padden No doubt. So I'm anxious to get a little bit more detail on that. In my mind, too, I also wonder, you know, when he finds out that the chest and the dagger are gone, you know, he wails like, it's gone. I wonder, you know, if he's more upset about the dagger than he is about the horn. <laughs> I was kind of I, I was kind of wondering that, too, as I was reading, you know, which one is, is really his focus. And I I, I have to say, I, I don't I, I, I'm I'm with you on that. Um, but, yeah, there's um Definitely some more layer. There's some more layers to that onion, we'll say. So shall we Shall we move on to chapter 20? I think, yes, sir. We are good to go. All right. And th- this, is, this is a short chapter, but man, is this packed with some stuff. Chapter 20, Sidene. Now with the horn and dagger in their possession, Ren and the others proceed into the country of Kyrian. Approaching a village near an excavation site around a strange but gigantic artifact. Rand kind of falls into a trance, frightening Selene and the others, but he snaps out of it after a minute. Meanwhile, Selene continues to press Rand to claim the glory that comes with the Horn of Valir, yet he still refuses to do so. And that's why where I want to start. Anyway, I think we already touched on this, so we don't have to spend a whole lot of time with it. But, you know, why why is Selene so determined for Rand to be the one to blow the horn? I mean, there's even a moment, yeah. I think it's in this chapter. Uh, you know, well, first of all, she's asking to see it again. You know, yeah. uh, you know she, she's determined to see it, to hold it. Um. She she wants to make she, she she's obsessed she's obsessed with the horn and she's yeah, obsessed and she could with care Rand less blowing about the, horn. the dagger yeah uh, oh, she wants Rand to throw the dagger Rand, away yeah like a piece of, of trash like <laughs> yeah and I think it's just the opposite for Rand in, in some ways he could care less about the the horn I mean not that he doesn't care about it but I think he's more worried about getting the dagger back to Matt um, and, yeah and this and, is the the chapter two where the, you. We get the reference of Rand asking her yet again if she's Aes Sedai. If she's Aes Sedai and she she gets upset about it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was trying to find it in my notes. It may be in the next chapter um, that she even tries to, you know, it's like, I would be proud to stand next to the man who blows the horn of Valley or something along those lines. Yeah. Almost as if she's, you know... It's like a you know we can we can be together forever, Rand. All you have to do is 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 blow the horn, and and it'll be all yours. So, I, I guess yep. I guess it just continues to play into the suspicion that's surrounding her, and it, it doesn't get any better as these chapters go on. Yeah, and she's she's very inter- like she doesn't want them to go to an end. She's like, uh, you know. 
I want to sleep under the stars. Uh, yeah, she's like, and a village inn, dirty no doubt, and full of unwashed men swilling ale. Why can't we sleep under the stars again? <laughs> you know, it's just like, really? What noble lady is going to want to rough it out on the ground when she could have a bed in an inn? <laughs> right. Right. You know, it's uh, just like oh. I mean, I guess I guess it's it's no wonder Rand starts to wonder again if she's Aes Sedai because she is definitely uh she's definitely being a little manipulative. Yeah. Uh, I think for sure. I really guess I guess though we need to we need to talk about what they I guess I, they really just kind of stumble across it as they're making their way into the village. Yep. This uh, we'll call it an artifact for now, because because we don't even really get any kind of clue as to what it is just yet. I mean, we get some ideas. I know that, it's so hard. I, that, spoilers. Well, and 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 you know, <laughs> I, I I know more from from my previous reading. I know more about this this particular item than what's revealed at this point. But and, and so I you know I guess that's a. Maybe a minor spoiler. This is not going to be the last time we see this or other possible other things it's like not it. Which the first time, which we've we've, seen we, we've, like we've this. heard of something like this mentioned before, with yep. uh, with Bale Doman when they were on the spray. He mentions uh, a statue that seems remarkably similar to this one uh, somewhere. Uh, it's what on was the, the name uh, of that island? The the island of Island Tremalking. Tremalking, yeah. Um, and it was kind of the same, same idea, a person holding a loft, like a a giant crystal, crystal, crystal ball or, or orb or something like that. Uh, this one though, we have, um, some interesting stuff that happens around it and seemingly Rand is the only one who picks up on it. Am I, am I reading that correctly? Uh, I mean, the others see the statue, but well, well, it yes, doesn't affect yes. anyone else like it does Rand. Yeah. Um. So it's it's interesting, uh, and it's it, what happens to Rand here is incredibly interesting. Yeah, I want to find first of all this little bit of a description of the orb. Let me see if I can find it. Um, I can read it if you want. I've got go it right for here. It. Go for it. Okay. Out of the clay at the bottom of the pit slanted a gigantic stone hand holding a crystal spear. It was this that shone with the last sunlight. Rand gaped at the size of it, a smooth ball. He was sure not so much as a scratch marred its surface at least 20 paces through. Yeah, the part I was looking for is a little bit further down. Um, oh, okay. It's at the bottom of 309 on my copy. Uh, I believe I can find a way down there, he said absently. Sidene sang to him. The huge ball seemed to glow white with the light of the sinking sun. It seemed to him that in the depths of the crystal, light swirled and danced in time to the song of Sidene. He wondered why the men below did not appear to notice. So I guess there's that confirmation that he's really the only one who apparently is seeing this. And mm-hmm. you had mentioned before the song of Sidene, or like that Sidene was singing to him. And yeah. it, it comes up here as he's looking at this orb, and it seems almost as if the orb is in tune with that song as well. Like, I picture right. it I, I picture it as just, you know, I guess the way I, I picture it in my head is almost like a a pulsing light. Maybe it's more complex than that, but... It's a pulsing light, and it matches something that Rand is kind of picking up on in his head, you know, from yeah, from no, what I, is in the void. Um, so, and you you mentioned the void, so I think uh, that brings up a very interesting thing that happens here. Yeah, uh, is that Rand is looking at this orb? He's just you know minding his his own business, looking at it. it. You know, he's just looking at the face, and then all of a sudden unsummoned, like he does nothing to do this, he finds himself in the void. Like, it's like the void wrapped him (laughs) as opposed to him seeking the void. The void just, like, consumes him. Right. (laughs) Uh, And then then there's that, when when he he tries to release it, and it won't go. Yeah. 
And so that's when he kind of falls into this this trance, for for lack of a better word, and is kind of muttering to himself. And 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 whatever he's saying, it, it's not really audible to anybody else because Loyal, after the fact, says, "I didn't hear anything until that last word that you shouted out." Um, but there's yeah. several things that he says, and I was curious about this. I want to ask: um, Is this the first time some of these ideas are brought up. Uh, let me see if I can find it again. Are you talking um, about what the words he's saying here? Yeah. Uh, no, it, it is not. I can tell you exactly what this comes from. It's not the first time we've come across this? It is not. Okay. Where have we seen it before uh, then? Okay, so what he's saying here, uh, These. this is what Loyal said to him Back when he first arrived in Camelin, oh, okay. when he thought Rand was an Aiel. That's right. And it's also right. the dying words of that Aiel from the Waste that told them about the Eye of the World. Okay. Okay, so they are, it is something that we've come across before. I couldn't remember, I, I thought we had before. Yep. Um, and if, I, if I'm not wrong, I think... That uh, the Tinkers, when they're telling Perrin and Egwene the message from the Io that died, I think one of the Tinkers actually says these words as well, making reference to the Aiel. So we've had yeah. it come at us once or twice in the last book. Uh, it's basically like an Aiel like battle cry, I guess, is for lack of a better word. Yeah. Um, Let's see. And, and here, just a few of the the little. It, it kind of comes in little snippets. But we have, and I'm not, I'm not going to read all the in-between, but it's, Till shade is gone, till water is gone, into the shadow with teeth bared, to spit in sight blinder's eye, on the last day. Now, there's, there's a lot that's kind of in the middle of that, too. But those are the words that he was speaking as he was in this trance. But also, at the same time, almost kind of being uh, consumed by the power or, or by the the desire for the power? Yeah. I think at this point, it's not his desire for the power. It's the power's desire for him. Okay. That is trying to basically overtake him and consume him. Uh, he wants to let go of the void. He can't. Uh, he, you know, tries, and the void, Sidene is there, and it's a longing, and he wants it. But this little voice in the back of his head... Uh, says no. He says, I will not. He reached deep into himself. Uh, and then, so, like, grimly he refused to give in, reached deep inside of himself. I will not. And then you start to hear this rand. And, and he did not know who the voice was. And he reached yeah. for the core of who he was, the core of what he was. And what he finds there is this Aiel saying. So, the old blood. Yeah. Okay. We see in the first book, uh, when they go into battle, who starts spouting off a bunch of gibberish? Uh, it was it was Matt. Yep. He started he started speaking the old tongue. Yeah. So in this the old blood sings strong in the blood of Manetherin. Well, uh -huh. this is a different kind of old blood, <laughs> perhaps an ancient the, blood. The 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 old blood sings strong in the Aiel, perhaps? <laughs> yeah. So it it is just this, like, Rand... What's happening here, in my opinion, is Sidene wants him. It is a burning inferno that is going to consume him. And at this moment, Rand is so desperate, he reaches in to the very core of who he is, of what he is, and what he finds, he... Sidene has burned away all of his reservations. It's burned away all of his excuses, all of his worries, all of his uh, things that he tells himself to not believe it. And when all of that is burned away, what he's left with is the truth. Mm. The truth that Moraine told them about that baby on the mountainside. The truth of what that Tam found him, that Tam's not his birth father. The truth of his lineage, of who he is, is burned away here by Sidene, and the only thing that saves him is latching onto that truth. That that that's heavy. <laughs> yeah, that's heavy, and 
it, it you know, I, I'm getting there's so much more, I guess, that that will be given to us in time. You know, we still got a long way to go. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, this is just starting to give us a glimpse of, I guess, what is to come. Maybe, you know more of the truth about Rand and who he is and his what his destiny is going to be. I mean, there's so much more to come. And, you know, this uh, this moment just kind of gives us a glimpse, I guess. Yeah. So uh, moving on then, if, if, if you're okay with it, we'll get into the, the, yeah. the last chapter for this week. Chapter 21, The Nine Rings. Prepared to sleep in a bed instead of under the stars, Rand and the others dine at the Nine Rings, and Rand plays the flute for a while. Afterward, Captain Aldrin Cadovan reveals more about the statue being excavated outside of the village. Meanwhile, Celine is clearly different, not eating much and requesting a room to herself, and in the morning she's gone, having left a note for Rand to meet her in Kyrian. Yeah, that name of the captain is a struggle for me. So, Caldev- uh, uh, the last name is Caldevwin. Caldevwin. Yeah. Uh, and I even listened to it today, but I still couldn't get it right. Um, more important than that though, is I had to bring this up. Uh, we have a skinny innkeeper alert. Yep. <laughs> uh, mistress, mistress Modwin is, uh, described, uh, skinny is not the word that's used, but, uh, oh, what was the word? Um, lean. Lean. There we go. So, yeah, uh, skinny innkeeper alert. Um, you know, she doesn't uh, do anything in this chapter to raise suspicion other than that, but uh, we're going to keep an eye on her. Uh, just, you know, going back to previous episodes, we never trust a skinny innkeeper. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I seriously, I was, as soon as I read that, as we were reading through, I was like, okay, I got to watch this person very closely. Yeah. And uh, she's very nosy. <laughs> she, like, she, she asks is, lots of questions. she's, she's <laughs> totally, I mean, obviously she thinks that Rand and Celine are Lord and lady, you know, and is yeah. really, you know, just taken aback by how, uh, comfortable they are i guess you could say especially with Huron, who they assume to who she assumes to be a servant um so she's just kind of really thrown off and then when you know celine asked for her own room uh you know she's kind of butting in is like you know if you go and 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 knock on your lady's door tonight i'm sure she'll Yeah, it's like it, the, this is it's time for it's, innkeeper to play matchmaker. They say this is this 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 is none of your business. Okay, just just yeah. just just mind your own business, and 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 let us handle things. And and then in the morning she's like, I told you, <laughs> I told you what you should have done, and you didn't listen to me. Uh, let's talk yeah. about Celine. Um, because there's this moment at the, I guess at the beginning of the chapter, or maybe it's the end of the last chapter, where she once again um, pushes Rand, or tries to push Rand to take the glory of the horn for himself. And this is the part I was trying to think of earlier. She's even to the point of basically saying, run away with me. And, you know, she would be by his side forever. And when he refuses again... She turns quite cold indeed. Uh, yeah, and her, I think it, her entire demeanor just really, you know, it really changes almost on a dime. Yeah. At least in my opinion, it came off that way. Yeah, I think it's a combination of one, his repeated refusal to do what she wants, and two, I think she genuinely, like at the end of the last chapter, uh, not to go back too much, but at the end of the last chapter, they have a conversation. With about these things, and he's like, "I hope I didn't frighten you." And she's like, "Frighten me? You terrified me." Yeah. <laughs> he's like, "You could have killed yourself. Killed dot dot dot." You know, it, it's she knows more than she's letting on, and I um, think yeah, her change in behavior here is a combination of the fact that he whatever Rand did almost did. 
terrified her to the point that she's going to take a step back. <laughs> yeah, she really does you know? distance herself. Yeah. Quite literally so it, since she leaves in the middle of the night. Um, but yeah. even before that, even before that, we pick up on it. Um, yeah. You know, she's... And I think, too, I think maybe as well, she doesn't like... I don't think she likes how Rand acts around other people. Like, I think she views herself as, a, like, like Loyal talks about it, being a Kyrene and noblewoman. Yeah. She holds herself, and I think she like wants Rand to treat other people as she thinks he should treat them. Like, he's very, like, he's going to play his flute. He's going to, yeah. you know, chum around with the Huron and the Loyals, the servants. You know, it, it, I think it's, and he refuses to take the glory that she sees for him with the horn. It's just a, I think it's a culmination of things. She, she wants him to be a Lord. He just wants to be a shepherd. Yeah. Comes down. It really comes down to that. He, he, he didn't ask for any of this. Right. And, uh, it's, it's not getting any easier. Uh, There was something I did pick up on. Um, there was a lot of. Or maybe not a lot, but uh, some emphasis put on accents in this chapter. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, he mentioned the the captain whose name I'm I'm not going to try to pronounce anymore. Caldwin. Uh, Caldwin. <laughs> um, Rand notices that his accent reminds him so much of Moraine's, uh, which we know that Moraine is from Kyrian, and. It's even remarked that uh, Mistress Modwin's accent was decidedly not um, of someone from Kyren. But what I was yeah, wondering, she's, yeah, she she's from uh, Lugard, I think. Is that what correct. she said? And, yeah. But but what was what stood out to me is Celine is supposed to be from Kyren. Yep. But nothing, nothing is, no, there's no remarks made about her accent. And I, I just, I feel like there's a clue there. <laughs> yeah. Even Mistress uh, Madwin is not convinced because he's like, the Lady Celine is from Kyrian, from the capital, and I'm from Andor. And, and Mistress Maldwin's response is, as you say, my lord. Yeah. <laughs> like, sure. <laughs> wink, wink, nod, nod. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's just, that's just one of those little things I kind of picked up on. Like, here's here's another clue that uh, she's not what she's saying she is. Um, yeah. So I just wanted to bring that out. Um, I think it's it's yeah, also I cannot find the 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 section where it is mentioned for the life of me. But I read it earlier today when I was reading back through here. But at some point in this, uh, this is. Ram's first really introduction to the people of Kyrian, and there's a note made that the people of Kyrian seem to be short of stature. Yeah, which makes sense. The only other Kyrian we've met so far is Moraine, Moraine who's, who you is know, tiny, right? <laughs> uh, so, but you know who isn't said to be short? Celine, right? <laughs> yeah, I didn't pick up on that, yeah. but uh, that I it just it adds to the. It adds to the the mounting evidence against her yeah. that there's there's something um, there there's something about her that's uh, that's off. Uh, let's come back to Celine in a moment. Let's talk about uh, Deus Dimar. <laughs> the great game. What about it? The game of houses. Um, you know, I mean, it's really. It's really just kind of mentioned in passing, right? Uh, it's kind of, but we kind of get a little bit of an introduction to it. Uh, I wanted to read uh, what Loyal says about it um, as they're talking about it, because because they think that possibly, you know, all of this going on with the captain and him wanting to send a guard uh, back to Kyrian with him, they think it might be part of the game, or maybe that he thinks Rand is trying to play the game, and they're... It's this whole mess of, you know, maneuvering and secrets. That's pretty much what Loyal says about it. He says, and uh, it isn't a game at all, Rand, Loyal said from his bed. He had pulled a book from his pocket, but it laid unopened on his chest. I don't know much about it, 
Ogier don't do such things, but I have heard of it. The nobles and the noble houses maneuver for advantage. They do things they think will help them or hurt an enemy or both. Usually it's all done in secrecy, or if not, they try to make it seem as if they're doing something other than what they are. He gave one tufted ear a puzzled scratch. Even knowing what it is, I don't understand it. Elder Haman always said it would take a greater mind than his to understand the things humans do, and I don't know many as intelligent as Elder Haman. You humans are odd. And then uh, Huron speaks up, says he has the right of it, Lord Rand. Kyrenian play it, play it more than most, though all Southerners do. So, just a little bit of, you know, an intro, I guess you will, to this great game. But it sounds exhausting. <laughs> yeah. It, it it sounds exhausting to all, you know, it's almost like you're walking on eggshells everywhere you go. Like, is this, you know, is is this someone trying to play the game with me or... I guess in, in Kyrian, you just assume that they're trying to play the game with you. Oh, no. In uh, Kyrian, you're playing the game. Even with, if refusing with, to play the game is you're playing, playing the game. the game. So, yeah. uh, you know, this, I guess, is going to come up some more uh, in future chapters. But I, I wanted to bring out that, that introduction to it. If you yeah. had anything else to say about it, we can talk just about it some more. That it, it all starts with this this uh, captain basically interrogating Rand subtly, yeah. like he's looking he's he's actively saying false things to catch Rand, like because Rand says he's from Andor, so he's literally trying to say he's saying the wrong thing, trying to get Rand to agree with him so that he'll know Rand isn't actually from Andor. But Rand is like, no, that's not right. It's this, and the guy's like, oh well, yes, my bad. I'm sorry. You know, and keeps going. So it's he's like trying to suss out the truth because Rand, it, despite at this point, you know, especially now, he's dressed like a noble. He's got a Herodmark yeah. sword. He's traveling with Selene and an Ogier of all things. Like he's obviously not just a country lord who stumbled his way into Kyrian. <laughs> you know, there's something going on. And this guy is like freaking out because, you know, he's out here. And he's playing the game, and he, the guy he works for is obviously involved with the statue somehow. Yeah. Uh, there's all kinds of intrigue. Rand has stumbled into a hornet's nest. <laughs> yeah, and it's probably not going to get any better. <laughs> no. <laughs> um. No, it's... it's uh, Deus Damar is a very uh, interesting element to the Wheel of Time and Robert Jordan's world. Uh it is uh, this political game that isn't a game by any means. No, it's not. It sounds like it can be quite dangerous. Dangerous, deadly, and absolutely mind-bogglingly intricate. Yeah. The slightest little, like, the color scarf that you have sticking out of your pocket can mean ten different things. I mean, it's it's one of these things, like, it's, like, ridiculous the levels of, that of, like, reading into things the Kyrianan do. Like, it's bonkers. Mm. <laughs> and it's all about maneuvering for power and gaining an upper hand on your allies, your enemies, to maneuver into the strongest position you can, just like a game of, like, 3D chess. <laughs> Almost makes Facebook sound like a walk in the park, doesn't it? <laughs> and Facebook would be a lot more interesting if it was as complicated as Destinmar. I don't think <laughs> no. Facebook is complicated enough. <laughs> let's let's leave let's leave that out of it. Um so we wake up in the morning. Uh and and, and it's I, I like the transition because herein tells Tells Rand, uh, yeah, you can you can ask the lady Celine about it in the morning. I'm sure she can tell you all about it. Yeah. Only she's not there in the morning. Yep. She she left Rand a note. She's got her. She apparently has her own seal. Uh, crescent moon and, and stars is her her symbol. And she leaves Rand this note. I must leave for a time. There are too many people here, and I do not like Caldevlin. I will await you in Kyrian. Never think that I am too far from you. 
you will be in my thoughts always, and I know that I am in yours. <laughs> yeah. There's, uh, okay. Well, first of all, I like the, the point they bring up a little bit later on. If she thinks there's too many people people here, what what's she going to think about Kyrian? Yeah. Um, but the, the statement, never think that I am too far from you, uh, that kind of sticks out in my mind. It stands out in my mind a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. You know... There's more than meets the eye going on there, and we're not talking about the Transformers. No. Um, <laughs> there, there's, there's more than... There's something that's not being said, or there's something left unsaid. Because she gets, right. out, in, she gets out in the middle of the night, um, she gets past these men that were supposedly watching the place. So where'd she go? How'd she just disappear like that? Did she yeah. just disappear? You know, maybe that's what happened. Who knows? There's so much about Celine right now that I don't trust and don't like. Um, and yeah. part of me's part of me's kind of glad to be uh, free of her for the moment, or at least free from her physical presence. But then there's a part of me that that scares me worse than being standing right next to her. Yeah, at least when she's there, you can see what she's doing. Now right. she's just gone, and you have to wonder what she's up to. Right. <laughs> Um, so I guess we'll just have to wait and see. Yeah. Uh, well, let's, uh, I guess move into some final thoughts. Um, I guess one thing I will say is something I said before. I'm, I'm interested in, uh, obviously I'm interested in learning more about Celine and finding out what's really going on here. Uh, I want to find out more. I'm, I'm interested in what's going on with Padden Fane and finding out more about his story. And, you know, how, how is Rand going to handle all this? He's, he's definitely experiencing some things, especially there in the middle chapter around the statue. Uh, yeah. What's going to happen with Rand? So there's, there's questions that I have. And, you know, things I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing and getting some answers to. Other than that, no White Cloaks in these chapters. So that's always a good thing because White Cloaks are the worst, as you well know. But do you have any final thoughts for us this week? Uh, no, there's just a lot that happens in these chapters that will have a lasting impact. Like we're opening up a new section of the world with Kyrian. Yeah, we're experiencing new things with the power, with the statue. Uh, you know, we're seeing Rand's progression as a character in how he fought and how everything happened there. There's just a lot of doors that are opening up right now, and that are going to be helping us to explore this whole new part of the story that we haven't even touched on yet. So there's a lot of beginnings in these three chapters. Um, for things that are going to have lasting and long impacts going forward through the series. So there's just, it's a lot of good quality things here. A lot of good, a lot of good world building. Yes. Preparing us for things to come. So that's always good to hear. I always enjoy knowing that uh, it's, 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 it's one of those wonderful things about how, how well the series is written, how well the world is crafted and how things just tie together, it, it really is what I think sets this series apart from a lot of others um, yeah. in so many ways. But uh, we'll leave it at that for this week and look forward to uh, getting into some more of it next week. So uh, to our mm-hmm. listeners that are with us, we want to again, as always, thank you for joining us. We are so we, – we love being able to to talk about these books and and, and, and you know – we might do it anyway, but we enjoy doing it for you. We, we enjoy getting to uh, share these with you every week. And uh, we would really love to um, have some interaction with you, our listeners. You know, you can find us uh, on social media, uh, many different places. We're on Twitter at Wind Beginning, Instagram, The Wind Was a Beginning, Facebook and YouTube, uh, The Wind Was a Beginning, A Wheel of Time podcast. You can also email us. The wind was a beginning at gmail.com. And I believe all those things are in the show notes, so you can find them there. 
as well. But we, we want to hear from you. Uh, send us your comments. Send us your questions. Uh, we will be doing another Q&A episode for this season like we did at the end of Season 1, and we would love to include your questions. So you can send those to us. Uh, Stephen will get them, and Stephen will give an answer because he, he knows uh, the answers or has more information <laughs> than I do anyway. Uh, but we would love to hear from you. Just give us those those comments. Uh, subscribe to us on your um, podcast platform of choice. And if possible, leave us a rating, leave us a review. Uh, let us know what you think, how we're doing. Uh, how can we maybe even ask, let us know how can we get better? How can we improve to give you the best quality show and discussion uh, that we can? Uh, if you subscribe, you'll also be able to get new episodes when they release every Tuesday and have this in your podcast feed as soon as it goes live and as soon as it's available uh, to listen to. Uh, so yeah, next time we'll be in chapters 22 through 24 of The Great Hunt. And you can come and join with us then, read those chapters and come and, and we'll have a discussion on those next week. Until then... Uh, We hope you'll have a wonderful week, and we'll see you next time. Bye, everybody. See y'all later.